And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the two true freaks, Damn Dirty Eight Month. Attention, people of Earth, do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Johnny, don't go. It's too dangerous. I don't care. Why doesn't Johnny care? A film by Bell Labs. Johnny likes to sit next to his girlfriend Sally here on the bus, but she's got other fish to fry. Strike one against Johnny. Hey, that building up ahead is Johnny's school, Tarkus Brain Lab 4. And here is Johnny's inner sanctum helpmate, Mrs. Reese. To Johnny, the halls of Tarkus Brain Lab 4 are filled with dark, shadowy figures. A few whispered words, the sting of a needle, and they're gone, gone, gone. No one stays too long in Johnny's world, would you? What looks like a normal playground to you or I takes on a hideous simian appearance in Johnny's mind. Images leap and dance like melting colored caramel candies. Johnny's hero, by the way, is alone from the Bobby Goldsboro Institute, from the Snide Museum. Here in Johnny's fun lab, he can manipulate objects at will and no one dares to stop him. Johnny concentrates hard to make the herding stop. Here's Blue Director 4, Dr. Todd Ambrosius, Johnny's real dad. Uh-oh, time for a heart-to-heart, Johnny. You see, it's all because Johnny doesn't care. Do you care? Because a mind like Johnny's is a terrible thing to unleash. I'm Tom Servo, announcing for Bell Laboratories. Good night and commercial sign. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. As always, I am your host, Mr. Luke Jackanetti. We've got a very special guidance episode for us today. Uh, those of you who are uh, followers of the other shows here on the Two True Freaks Network know that all month we've been celebrating Planet of the Apes in the lead-up to the release of the new film, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. We've been taking a look at the classic Planet of the Apes series and Planet of the Apes comics. we got all sorts of Planet of the Apes-inspired shows coming out. In fact, uh, you may have heard me uh, doing a guest spot on a commentary for Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. And as soon as Planet of the Apes Month was announced, I started getting messages and emails from listeners asking if I was going to be covering the film we're looking at today, the Sandy Frank abomination, Time of the Apes. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not, let it never be said that I'm not one to take somebody else's good idea and run with it. So thanks to everyone who wrote in. It was, it was a, quite a handful. And I'm totally taking it. And we're going to take a look at Time of the Apes as the tie in here on Earth Destruction Directive for Planet of the Apes Month. And we're going to start right now. Time of the Apes was released on video in the United States sometime in 1987. It was written by Keichi Abe. The directors credited are Kiyu Sumi Fukuzawa and Atsuo Okanaka. The producers are Masashi Tadakuma and Madaichi Takahashi, both of them working for Tsuburaya Productions in Japan, and of course Sandy Frank, producer of the U.S. version. One fine day, carefree Johnny, his sister Caroline, and their teacher Catherine pay a visit to Johnny's uncle, a scientist who is experimenting in using cryogenics to put animals to sleep for thousands of years. 
During their visit, an earthquake rocks the lab, and the trio are forced to take shelter inside the cryo chambers. They awaken in a strange place and are shocked to discover that the planet is now ruled by intelligent talking apes. Barely escaping being executed by military chimpanzees under the command of Chief Gay Bar, the humans flee to Green Mountain where the apes fear to travel. There they meet another human, the resourceful and mysterious Godo, and his young spider monkey friend Peppy. Eventually, they are captured and once again face execution until the timely intervention of His Excellency the Commander, a wizened old silverback gorilla. He promises to treat the humans well as long as they do not commit any acts of violence or try to escape. Johnny and Godo have none of that and promptly escape with Peppy's help. They are chased all over the country by Chief Gaybar. They eventually make it back to the compound where Caroline and Catherine are held and rescue them. Once again, they are cornered by Chief Gaybar, who wants to kill Godo for murdering his wife and child. Only the timely intervention of a strange UFO from the organization UCOM stops Gaybar and reveals that Godo did not kill his family, but that Gaybar did by accident. The humans then travel to Yukon, where they discover it is a vague supercomputer which rules over the ape civilization. The machine gives them two choices, live in the far future or on another planet. Johnny, Caroline, and Catherine decide to risk it in the future, but Godo refuses. Entering cryo chambers, remarkably similar to the ones from the start of the film, our quote-unquote heroes soon wake up in another strange place, only to discover that they are back in their own time. It seems all of it might have been a dream, except for the locket Catherine finds in the cryo chamber, which was a gift from Godo. Glad to be free from the strange ape society, Johnny, Caroline, and Catherine try to make sense of it all, long after those of us in the audience have given up. Time of the Apes is based on the 1974 tokusatsu TV show Saru no Gonden, which translates to Army of the Apes. Now, this was made by Tsuburaya in the wake of the incredible popularity of the Planet of the Apes series in Japan. This ran for 26 episodes, which it's worth noting is more episodes than the American Planet of the Apes TV series ran. Part of this is because, you know, in Japan, shows are renewed on 13-episode blocks, and once you get the renewal, you'll make your full block of episodes, but still, worth noting. Uh, like what was done with the film Mighty Jack, Sandy Frank's crew in the U.S. took elements of several episodes and spliced them together to form a mm, somewhat coherent storyline and then dubbed it into English. Uh, originally, Time of the Apes was syndicated to TV and cable and then, of course, eventually wound up on home video. Uh, the thing is that this they, they take episodes from all over the 26 episodes because we get the the first episode is what features in the beginning of the film with Johnny and Caroline and Catherine going into the cryotubes and waking up and starting to be chased. And then they get some from the last episode, which ends with them back in their own time and place. So this is, you know, they, they, they take a lot of different elements from a lot of different episodes, which leads to the really disjointed nature of this film. Time of the Apes would not become really all that well-known until it was featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000, first as an early KTMA episode, and then again during Season 3 on Comedy Central. The Comedy Central episode uh, produced the now absolutely hilarious and infamous Sandy Frank song sketch, beloved by Misty's all across the world. 
now that, what's interesting here with the Sandy Frank connection is that this was one of the films often pointed to saying, well, they released Time of the Apes, why can't they release the Gamera films? And that gets to the heart of the matter, is that Sandy Frank, from what I've been able to read, uh, never really would, cared all that much about what Misty was saying about him, as long as they kept paying their licensing bills. And for films like Mighty Jack and Time of the Apes, they did pay them, whereas they could not afford the licensing rights to Katakawa in Japan for the Gamera films. And it wasn't until Shout Factory was able to get a license to them through a, a, US distri a second U.S. distributor that we got those released on DVD. So I, I think we may be able to put it that Sandy Frank doesn't have enough pull to say that, no, they, they can't release them. As long as they pay the money, Sandy Frank seems like he's happy. In fact, they interview him on the Gamera box set. Uh, a few notes about the film. The ape makeup itself is, is actually quite good, considering this is a Japanese TV show from 1974. It does a, a decent job of aping yes, pun intended, the Planet of the Apes makeup, which was very iconic by this point in the 70s. Also, an interesting fact about the makeup is that we get to see a few baboons or mandrels in the mix. Uh, we see one really quickly right at the uh, when we first are introduced to the ape characters, and then uh, there's one that appears like a priest performing a ceremony when they're about to be executed. And Peppy is actually more of a spider monkey than an ape, which opens up all sorts of um, questionable areas of uh, discussion there, you know, because monkeys and humans are a lot different than apes and humans. So I'm not really sure what the deal is with that. Peppy's makeup makes him, or her, I should say, look more like an owl <laughs> than a monkey in certain respects, but it's certainly memorable with the black and white face like a, like a spider monkey. Uh, inappropriately, the apes have uh, Asian features not entirely dissimilar to the mighty Peking man, uh, but of course that makes sense given that they were all portrayed by Asian actors, so obvious there. Uh, a reversal from Planet of the Apes is that, more in line with the act with nature, the chimps are very aggressive and militaristic, whereas the gorillas are more peaceful. Uh, Gaybar, uh, he's the main villain of the piece, and he's a driven, maniacal chimpanzee who just, you know, pushes his men, uh, he, he, he threatens to execute any of his men who don't, uh, you know, drive themselves into the Green Mountain Zone, which is... Uh, you know, filled with traps and uh, they, they suspect is haunted. In fact, he uses his electro whip to whip his men into shape and he, you know, is constantly trying to shoot Godo and Johnny. So definitely uh, an aggressive villain character. Compare this to um, the, the commander, who looks like a silverback version of Colonel Sanders with his white suit and his uh, big hair, but other than that, he's portrayed as a reasonable simian who does, you know, wants to keep the peace and doesn't want to hurt the humans, but doesn't want them roaming around free causing problems either. Being a compilation, there's some really strange continuity bits in this movie. Uh, for instance, the Yukon UFO, it appears out of nowhere, and then it's commented on a few times. It just keeps showing up. There's scenes of it showing up and just not interacting with anything. And then suddenly, about two-thirds of the way through the film, Catherine is aware of Yukon for no discernible reason. She even says, oh, it, it's from Yukon, and they've always helped us. It's like, well, this is the first time we've heard the word Yukon in the film. And... Gaybar's revenge motivation when he, you know, finally says why he wants to kill Godo. Again, it comes completely out of nowhere. We've been given no hint anywhere in the film that, you know, he wants revenge on Godo because he believes Godo killed his wife and son. And uh, so, I don't know. I, I, one can only assume that these issues were addressed more logically in the full series, that, you know, maybe Catherine learned of Yukon during the time when she was in the compound while Godo and Johnny were on the run, and maybe at some point, uh, you know, Gaybar told us about the his, his history and why he was after Godo for revenge. There's a subplot about a chimp revolt 
that uh, you know they they want to overthrow the commander and instill their new uh, chimpanzee leader, which is really only touched on in one scene, not referenced before that, and then kind of dismissed at the end when the commander says, "Oh, the rebel the rebellion is over." And it's like again, th these seem like things that obviously were probably called from the episodes that the uh, film was compiled from, but they don't make a lot of sense here in their compiled form. Oh, uh, the dubbing. The dubbing is very, very strange in this one. We get two absolutely great, ridiculous lines right at the beginning. One is uh, when discussing the earthquakes, Johnny's uncle says, oh, an earthquake, there's a possibility of an earthquake, but nothing will happen suddenly. I'm sorry, I'm not a seismologist, but isn't that kind of the way earth earthquakes work? Is that they happen suddenly without any warning or expectation? I mean... I don't know about that. That just seems like somebody was either having fun or just being silly in that respect. I don't know what's up with that. And of course, the line that this film is most famous for, right as uh, Johnny and Caroline are getting ready to leave to go to the lab, there's a small tremor, and Johnny's mother says, Oh, Johnny, it's too dangerous. Don't go. And he goes, I don't care. <laughs> a very flippant way of, I don't care. And then the music is very upbeat and happy as having Car Caroline run off. Uh, they made great hay with this on Misty. About using I don't care over and over again. Oh man! But uh, Time of the Apes, it's uh, it's as bad as its reputation. Uh, it has an absolutely nonsensical plot, which consists mainly of the main characters escaping and then being recaught. Uh, the dubbing ranges from inept to downright bizarre, and its tone flies wildly from fun kids adventure to full-on revenge drama. Sometimes in the span of the same scene. Now, admittedly, the full version makes more sense in the cut-down version, which was used on uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000, but really that's just kind of splitting hairs. Trying to cram 26 episodes worth of story into an 87-minute movie, it just doesn't work. Time of the Apes functions best as a preview of sorts for Saru no Gundam, which looks like it might actually be a, a pretty good show, even taken uh, in this form. If I could ever find a subbed copy of the show, I would certainly watch it. I mean, the, the bones of it looks interesting, just the actual result of the compilation and dubbing is atrocious. Uh, taken as it is, this is a bit of media masochism, which might be fun to inflict on friends with a case of your favorite beverage, but I think you're better off just watching Joel and the bots have fun with it. Time of the Apes itself is out of print, though you can find it uncut from a VHS source on YouTube, which is where I watched it. And if you want to get a copy, I'm sure you can find one on eBay on VHS, and I've seen a few uh, folks online selling uh, DVD bootlegs, including on iOffer, although in the interest of full disclosure, I have not bought any of said bootlegs and cannot speak to any of their quality. The MST3K episode, if you want to see the KTMA, you can find that online on uh, archive.org. Uh, in fact, you can find pretty much all the KTMAs that still exist on archive.org if you're interested in that. Or the more well-known episode from uh, Season 3 is available on DVD in Volume 12 of the Mystery Science Theater 3000 collection from Shout Factory, which is paired along with uh, The Violent Years, The Brute Ran... Uh, the Violent... Let me try that again. The Violent Years, The Brute Man, and appropriately enough, Mighty Jack, making for a very solid Sandy Frank double feature if you swing that way. My recommendation is, uh, you know, check this one out on YouTube if, if you want to, you know, watch a bad movie, but don't, don't go hunting it down. It's not worth it. But as far as an oddity to present during Planet of the Apes Month, I really want to thank everyone again for suggesting Time of the Apes because watching this made me really appreciate how much those Planet of the Apes movies have held up and how little this one did. 
Uh, so again, thanks for everybody, and I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you enjoy Planet of the Apes Month, and coming back next time, we'll have some more giant monster action for you on Earth Destruction Interactive. Keep them stomping. Catherine, there's something I'd like to ask you. Me too. I know what it is. You want to ask me about Godo. Godo went to a different world. It's not easy to explain. We came back to where we started. We returned to the present. Godo had a different journey. He's in another time zone. Did he go to the past or the future? Where do you think he is? I don't think we'll ever know. But one thing I do know, and I know for certain, Godo, wherever he is now, he'll always be in our hearts. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Come on, everybody. Let's do the Sandy Frank song. Sandy Frank. Sandy Frank. He's the source of all our pain. Sandy Frank. Sandy Frank. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Jackanetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Podcast Network. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, we will read them on the show. If you'd like to visit our forum, you can head over to www.forumforgeeks.com and come on down to the Two True Freaks section. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head over to twotruefreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Anything you buy during your next Amazon session after clicking that link will help keep the lights on here at Two True Freaks. You can also find me on Twitter with the handle LJacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible. A tremor? Johnny, don't go. It's too dangerous. I don't care.